What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor Gara. Will, Cake Week. It is not Cupcake Week. It is Cake Week. We feast on cake. You do not feast on cupcakes. Got into an mm-hmm. argument with Aaron Murray about this. He's like, I feast on cupcakes all the time. I'm like, you're alone. Nobody does that. Nobody Got feasts. A face full of icing and diabetes if you do that. So get, get out of here. And I we we've had this discussion before. You got to slice the cupcake in half, and you turn it upside down. You turn it into a sandwich of sorts. You still feel awkward eating that thing. You do. And if you have a beard, you know that you do not like eating a cupcake in public. You would much rather be eating cake. You feast on cake. You do not feast on cupcakes. Mm-hmm. Facts. That's- you should just start like an ASMR channel of just you eating cupcakes with a beard. I feel like that could be your second career. Sounds like my nightmare. Hard pass. Okay. I would eat cake on camera. If they if, exactly. if somebody wants to pay me to eat cake on camera, I will willingly do that. Mm-hmm. All day. The best cake, though. Yes, it is cake week. Plan for today. Uh, I want to talk about a few playoff things. We've got four SEC versus SEC games that we're going to break down for picks. So conference-only games. Just uh, I, I think we didn't want to necessarily get into the weeds too much with some of these some of these matchups, unless we really want to break down AM against Don Brown and UMass. Uh, no. Listen, no wins are guaranteed with that AM program. That one is. That one is. I'll say that. I see the 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 highlight reel happening. Listen, this was it. They, they can take them seriously. And then you just see Jimbo losing. Game. Yeah, no. Uh, UMass's lone win of the year is against Stony Brook, and it was 20 to 3. An you know? FCS team um, who is, I think, has two wins. So that's the the Stony Brook knowledge that you're going to get on this here podcast today. Um, we could get into the other games. We really could. But uh, outside of Western Kentucky, Auburn, most of those spreads are very, very lopsided. Mm-hmm. U- UAB LSU only being a 14 and a half point spread. Weird. Yeah, UAB has like a top 20 defense. They're, uh, yeah, they got a squad down there, man. They got a squad. That's the thing about scheduling these kind of like some of these cake teams, like sometimes they just kind of pop up and get you. I asked Notre Dame about Cincinnati last year. I mean, Notre Dame more recently lost to Marshall this year. That's, you know, Notre Dame scheduling pretty much anyone I feel could be a toss up. True. I, I'm just saying, you know, five win conference USA team with an interim coach. Just saying, just throwing it out there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Barry was going to join us, but had some last minute scheduling issues. He's a very, very busy guy. So he, he's going to join us next week for the preview pod before we dig into everything else. So true story. This is a, a true testimonial. I make a few different kinds of chili. I've talked about this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. One of the kinds of chili that I make that is very unhealthy, but very, very good. I call it sweet meat chili. Ooh. Got it. We've got it from this SEC cookbook that Feinbaum did the, the forward for. And I think it's like, it's titled like Memphis chili or something like that. But essentially you put a ton of Navy beans, a ton of baked beans and roughly an entire bottle of barbecue sauce. So Ooh. you know where I just got some barbecue sauce from Texas Pete. Mm-hmm. I use the traditional barbecue sauce in this chili. In this chili, which I've made probably like maybe like five times. It's got, you know, it's got Boston butt in there. It's a very hearty, meaty chili. And I've always kind of thought this chili is like, it's really good, but I've used another barbecue sauce and no free ads. We're not going to name name names here. Well, let's mm-hmm. just say it was, it was a little bit on the thicker side. And I was like, ah, you know what? It, it's almost too thick. All right. We don't need DQ blizzard, stick it upside down thick with we chili. Don't need- Watson from Florida level thick other chili. We don't <laughs> shout out Desmond Watson, man. That video was incredible. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Unbelievable. That's, that's the hashtag content that we're here for. Um, 
But this chili with the Texas Pete original barbecue sauce is so good. It is unbelievable. It is better than ever. Even Lauren absolutely loves this, loves this chili. And Texas Pete made the upgrade. I kid you not. It is so good. I'm looking forward to having it for dinner tonight. It's one of those where you have it like four nights throughout the week and it just mm -hmm. gets better and better and better. And I have Texas Pete to thank for that. If you I, know, I have know, a mental image right now of you spilling the chili like Kevin and then just no. scooping it up with a uh, paper because there's texas pete you're like i can't waste this texas pete no 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 that that is <laughs> that is precious cargo we do not right. fumble that chili we we hold on to that chili uh for dear life yes it is on the, rock. the onions are going to get to know each other in the pot it's very very good if you don't know texas pete has a spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch if you haven't tried the original hot sauce or like i said the new traditional barbecue sauce run. Don't walk. Grab yourself a bottle today. Visit texaspeat.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, all caps, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Let's talk about the playoff real quick because no surprises in Tuesday's rankings necessarily. I didn't think TCU was going to hurdle Michigan. Didn't think Tennessee was going to hurdle TCU. Feels like we're going to have a much better picture of everything though before conference championship weekend and here's what i mean by that if we get the idea of where the ohio state michigan loser stands that's pivotal right if they're mm -hmm. going to be ranked ahead of tennessee seems very very important if tcu is still going to be locked into that number four spot one spot ahead of tennessee one would think yeah they probably need to win a conference championship in order to get to the college football playoff tcu lost to baylor would shake things up it would force the selection committee to kind of tell us where they stand and if usc loses to ucla this weekend we can put this ridiculous notion to bed that usc and their trash resume is somehow worthy of the number seven spot in the country it is not i continue to say that usc getting love for its best win being a three-point victory against three loss oregon state is just baffling i can't get it i can't i love get it. how the guys at the table were just like oh, they got that quality loss to utah it's like my brother they played one good team and they lost what do you mean they don't have any quality anything out there and I, I'm now at a place where I'm defending Clemson. Like, I'm def <laughs> what, what, are, what are we doing here? Even Clemson's got a better win right now because they won at Florida State. Um, and and we're, mm -hmm. we're sitting here talking about USC's quality wins. It's like, they, buddy, they beat two teams at the Power 5 level that have a winning record. All right? That's it. I love, That's too, that like people like Big Game Boomer and the like, who I don't even try to interact with him, but so many people He got muted a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Long um, time ago. Yeah, like there are people who are just like, oh, poor little USC. It's like, brother, as an LSU fan, do you think I, I care? Oh, poor little USC who just bought their coach with all this money, got him this big house, and like they obviously claimed LSU's natty in 2003, and now I got to sit here and be like, oh, poor USC. They beat, um, you know... You know, the little sisters of the poor, their quality wins are up. Maybe, oh, I don't know if they could beat Hoover High School, but I feel like that would be up there for them. And it's like, okay, bro. Like, uh, all right. Like, we literally, if you look at, like, the teams around them, they're between LSU and Alabama. You want me to be ba feel bad for them? <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. And, and I get it. Like, the schedule is really backloaded. It's really, really backloaded. They're at UCLA this weekend, yeah. home against Notre Dame, and then the Pac-12 championship, which... Pac-12 championship is going to be a really solid game, and you're going to have to face either Utah or Oregon. Like, I don't think that USC is going to get there, 
But even if they did, I just still have such a problem with that because the selection committee has just been like, oh yeah, well you scheduled, you scheduled Notre Dame in your non-conference. So you're fine. It's like, well, they haven't even played Notre Dame yet. What are we doing? What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyways, I don't think they went out. And as much as I think TCU is getting the shaft, I don't think they went out either. And here's why. And I've brought this point up before, but I think it's worth remembering as we look at the playoff. And if you're one of these people, maybe you're a Tennessee fan listening to this, maybe you're a Georgia fan, maybe you're just kind of wondering about the process and the future of this sport and why I think this is such an overlooked thing that I keep harping on. The only Power 5 team with a nine-game conference schedule who went unbeaten in the regular season and route to the playoff was 2019 Ohio State. That is mm-hmm. it. All right, nine game conference schedule, power five level, go 12 and 0, win your conference championship game, get to the college football playoff. 2019 Ohio State is it. So I'm essentially just saying I don't think TCU is going to join that club. I, I don't. And I've been banging the drum for them for a while. I think the selection committee is telling us that a one loss TCU team doesn't make the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, th- I think there's going to be some more respected one loss teams on the outside looking in conference championship weekend, of course, Tennessee being one of them. And then the loser of Michigan, Ohio state. Um, I've got no dog in the fight. So let me just say this. Okay. Mm -hmm. My brain is going to hurt if we have to debate two loss SEC champ LSU versus one loss Tennessee. Okay. It's going to hurt and my stomach's going to hurt and I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel bad. And, and, And here's why, if you're sitting here telling me that it's an obvious choice, Look down at the t-shirt you're wearing, look at your Twitter bio, look at your Facebook picture, and tell me how biased you are. Let's get that out and clear. You're talking specifically to me on that one. I I'm not talking just to you. I'm, you're part of it, but I'm not just talking to you. I have a spelling bee shirt on today, I'll tell you. All right, I support literacy today. So that's, a, that's an all-time spelling bee logo, by the way. The fact that they just lean in, so they're like, yes, the B. Yes, that, that, makes, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh, love that, that they do that. Um, my guess is that this is going to work itself out. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it will. And, and I don't think we're going to have this debate on that Saturday night going into Sunday, wherein no LSU fan or Tennessee fan is going to be able to sleep if that's the case. Okay. I don't mm-hmm. think that happens just because history tells us we never get to this place where we have four weeks worth of discussing something and then it just never really quite happens. I wouldn't want to make that decision though. I wouldn't. Like mm-hmm. for what it's worth, FanDuel has. Tennessee at minus 500 to make the field with LSU at plus 500, which obviously means that the odds makers believe that the Vols have a much, much better chance to get there than LSU. And I know Reese Davis thinks that's the case, but even I would even push back on that because we're using this with current context and not the context of, oh, LSU just beat Georgia and got the best win of anybody in America to win the SEC after needing to take care of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And if you tell me that you do know, I might just be devil's advocate and make the case against whatever your obvious argument is on the other side. I might just start doing that because I'm, I'm, Speaking out ahead of the fact that like for the next three weeks, I know this is going to be a constant topic of conversation. And if somebody leads me one way with it, whether it be a buddy that sends me a text or whether that'd be a radio show that would go on, whatever the case, I'm just Mm going to argue the other side. 
because <laughs> I think I think it needs to be brought up. And I I don't think it's as easy because there's nothing that we've ever had that's like this. And if you tell me 2016 Ohio State versus Penn State, that is not the case at all because Penn State had two losses. Ohio State had one. So even that is different in this mm-hmm. scenario. So I'm just saying, just throwing this out there. Okay. All right. It'll be, it would have been different if Ohio State had the had the head-to-head as the one-loss team. They didn't have that against Penn State. Again, get fired up. Those are my playoff thoughts for now. Will, what do you I, got? I, I feel like, as I'm hearing you say all of this, like I feel like a hater, but I'm not really sure. You tell me if I'm a hater here. So last year, it felt like there were kind of like three good teams, right? And we were just kind of like, what do we do? I mean, like Cincinnati obviously deserved to be there. I understand that. But we all kind of knew how that game was going to go. Um, they played better than I think a lot of people expected. But still, that being said, we kind of knew how that game was going to go. This is one of the years where it's like, gosh, I wish we had an expanded playoff because you could really sell me. I mean, is it far-fetched to think like Clemson could win a playoff game right now against like a USC? It's far-fetched. Uh, against USC. Against USC, that's different. That's, that's different. what I'm saying, though. Yeah. Because these teams, like, like in this next little echelon, now this is where I might sound like a hater. I just want TCU up out of there, man. I, I like TCU. I've always loved their color scheme. I've been a Horned Frogs respecter, big 3-3-5 guy. I get it. But I look at the teams that can win a national championship, and TCU is like, just it doesn't have those things. I, I don't want to be mean, but it's like you don't have the recruiting class. Your defense isn't really any good. I know like their quarterback's great. Like I know they've had these wins, but like even to me, their strength of record, like, yeah, you beat Oklahoma State and Oklahoma when they were good, but now they're kind of not. And I'm looking at them just like, and I think that stat that you told me that you really put me on a like made me hip to as far as the recruiting thing, where it's like you need to have a top five, if not top 10 class. And I'm sitting here looking at TCU like. Okay, like, do I want to see TCU play a playoff game over even like, you know, like I said, even USC, even Alabama, even like as much as I don't want Alabama to make it. It's like, let's be real here. Like who could win a playoff game? And I look through like from five down to 10 and I'm like, I just don't know if I'd take TCU over like almost any of those teams. I've watched them play, but I'm like, I I look at all these great coaches. I look at all this great talent. I look at, again, TCU has a middle-of-the-road defense and people celebrating their win over Texas. Like, congratulations, Texas is going to finish 6-6, six and six, just like every year. But, like, now somehow it's a big deal because they play DCU. It's like, I I just kind of want almost anyone but, there at, anyone but them at four. Does that make me bad? It makes a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> and I'll say this. I have now given up hope that there are going to be four teams that belong. Mm-hmm. I've given up hope on that. That that is, that's not happening. And if you go through each and every year and it's not always by seed, it's not always by seed, but there is always one team who doesn't truly belong. And Mm -hmm. look, you, you, you and I know this, this was the the biggest pro Cincinnati podcast outside of the state of Ohio. All right. Right. And you picked them from the jump and we supported them all year after they beat Notre Dame leading up to that. And that was like the best win and they couldn't leave them out because Notre Dame was so high. We're always been a Notre Dame respecter, obviously. But so, so yeah, we were, we were like first on that train for Cincinnati deserved to be there. You could also argue Michigan didn't deserve to be there based on what we saw play out with a month to be able to prepare against a team that had elite talent. And that's what this comes down to for me is that those teams are going to win 
such a large majority of the time that if you're sitting here saying, well, you know, TCU doesn't belong and I'd rather see this team in there. I'm like, well, there's always going to be one because there's really only a couple of teams in a given year that can win a national championship the way that it is currently constructed, getting a Mm -hmm. chance to get all those, a lot of your guys healthy to be able to give these elite coaches with elite talent a month to be able to prepare in an all or nothing 60 minute football game in which the variance and the things that can happen over the course of that game are so few and far between that can prevent the more talented team from winning. And that's what I've come to accept as to when I first started this job. And I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if Michigan State can kind of like hang around with Alabama. I wonder. (laughs) Well, they could not, (laughs) buddy, they couldn't. And it was obvious. And so there's always going to be one or two teams. So like, that's why I don't sweat it. If a TCU gets in or somebody Mm -hmm. else gets in, because I watched Oklahoma look like an FCS team against 2019 LSU. And we spent Mm -hmm. this entire time talking about Oklahoma deserves it to be there. Their resume, look at what they done with, with Jalen hurts. And look at this comeback win against Baylor. And look at all these things that they've done. And I'm like, they're still probably not going to look like they deserve to be there. And that's just reality yeah. in college football. And it's going to probably be the case, even if we have the expanded playoff. That's that's exactly you hit on it. It's like deserve to be there versus what I want to see. Because everybody that wants, like everybody has a point. DCU deserves to be the number four team. I agree that like, I would put them number four. If I had to put them. me as a viewer, I'm like, I've seen this game before. I'm sorry. I just, I, I think that that's the, it can be both things. It can be that you have to, and that's why to me, four has always been an awkward number because like I said, you expand to eight or 12. It's like, well, yeah, then you can get a TCU versus a Clemson. And then we could see how that plays out. Could be a really good game. You know what I'm saying? But you just never know. And so it's so tough because like you said, it's usually there's, you know, if you do the BCS way, it's like Georgia, Ohio state, not a, not a huge problem with that. Those have been the best two teams so far. And then you get to four and it's like, ah, like, I feel like we need like two more or two less. I don't know. I almost feel like we in college football need to start having the approach like what we have um, in the NBA, right? Okay. Very, very rarely are you making it through that grind of the playoffs and seeing somebody come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. a seven seed, be able mm-hmm. to to win the NBA finals because talent wins out. Yep. And more times than not. And yeah, you can have like a midseason turnaround, like with what the Celtics did last year, where that team was just super mediocre. And then they flipped the switch. And all of a sudden, the last, what, three months of the season, it was just like, oh, this is one of the best two teams in the NBA. In college football, it is just so much different. And what I'm trying to say is like, we need to lower our expectations of teams who actually have a chance to win a national championship. Right. It's it's so few and far between, and I'll bang that drum no matter how big that field is. I really will. Yeah, and I, like that's boring, but it's reality, and we have enough data now in year nine of this thing to be able to make that that determination. In my opinion. Yeah, and every every program every program has different goals, and the the great thing about DCU is they've already hit all of those. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Sonny Dykes in his second ten win season ever. Uh, he's obviously elevated that program to nearly the level they were back with Gary Patterson. You know they finished second in 2010, um, which is crazy. We go back to that was the year they played Boise State in that BCS like New Year's Six game because they didn't know what to do with either teams. So they would just like make them play each other. And so like point being like if you're a DCU fan, you've seen like a bunch, and they got left out in 2014 as well. So the more I'm saying this, I mean TCU definitely has been there enough to deserve a shot. 
out. Now I feel like a bad person. See, because now I'm thinking about it. It's like, well, you did kind of get left out in 2010 and 2014. So maybe this is the makeup year. And maybe you get to see, I will say you put those three teams next to each other. I think the other two are the better ones. But anyway, uh, so point being like, it's just, it's never ever going to be right and make everyone happy. I think is the moral of the story. Definitely agree hundred percent. And I, when I saw some of those 12 team playoff models, I was like, mm. yeah, great. I, I would watch every second of it. I would, and I'm going to be really entertained by it. But in terms of like determining a national championship and feel like we're not really trimming the fat, we're just adding the fat to it. And mm-hmm. fat is flavor. I get it. But how much flavor are we really getting in terms yeah. of figuring out a better way to, to decide a national champion? Just don't want to throw that out there. Okay. Want to talk about some some SEC football now? <laughs> Let's do it, man. Talk? Yeah, there's only <laughs> hey, look, there's only three SEC teams in the top six, Connor. So yeah. four in the top eight, you know. So hey, playoff conversations are SEC conversations. Exactly. Let's talk about one of those teams in that conversation. The number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs. They're 22 and a half point favorites against Kentucky. The over under I have one and a half. Jalen Carter sacks. Mm-hmm. Do yourself a favor, and whatever choice of worship you you believe in just say a little prayer for the Kentucky offensive line just just throwing that out there having to block Jalen Carter peak Jalen Carter which is what he currently mm-hmm. is that's not what they signed up for it, it's not and I I get it it's the SEC you know you're, you know you're gonna go against dudes everybody talks about that but mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be that disruptive from the interior the way that he is the last three weeks since he came back from his knee injury 12 tackles 10 quarterback hurries three t- three and a half tfls two sacks two forced fumbles also played 48 snaps against tennessee he played 44 against mississippi state so even if you're telling yourself ah we're gonna get this break he's not gonna be on the field all the time uh i don't really know about that i don't know you could bank on that much anymore because he's out there no matter what and his ability to rush the passer and what he can do to you on third down yikes look out um, mm-hmm. Will, we talked about this the other day. You asked me, Georgia's best player. I said, when healthy, Jalen Carter, and, mm-hmm. and even more than Brock Bowers, who we have yet to confirm as an actual human being. We're still waiting on that. Mm-hmm. The lab results have not come back yet. <laughs> Inconclusive at We best. keep trying to stab him with the needle, but it keeps breaking. We're trying to get blood from it. <laughs> yeah, really tough thing to be able to do. I think that means Jalen Carter is the Terminator. That's the only way to describe him because I'm not a big robot guy. Don't don't have a whole lot of robot movie knowledge. RoboCop, that's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe he's RoboCop. I don't know. Somebody else can come up with a nickname for him that's more creative that shows that he might not be a human being when he steps in between those lines. That's how good he's looked these last few weeks. Meanwhile, the old big blue gate, it swung wide open for Vandy. Vandy just waltzed right through, said, thank you. Hi, Will mm-hmm. Levis. What's up? You're, you're in the dirt now. Um, no power five team has allowed more sacks than Kentucky this year. Will Levis holds on to the football too long. That is a bad combination with that Kentucky offensive line. We have talked about that. And also where is C-Rod best Think about that? You're like, when he's really looking like the best version of himself, what's he doing? Right. Probably breaking a few tackles, getting to the second level, you know, 15, 18 yard gain, something like that. But he's probably going through between the tackles. That's Mm -hmm. I I don't mean to put the guy in a box and I'll be the one that's going to bang the drum for him to be a very serviceable, great mid round value running back that I would take on my team all day, every day, even in the year 2022. But Mm -hmm. think about what that means against Georgia. And if you're dealing with Jalen Carter up front and he's pushing the pile back, that's not good. That is not good. 
Again, slightly better, I think, in my opinion, Jalen Carter is as an interior pass rusher than he is a run defender, but he's been darn good against the run this year, too. If he's pushing the Listen, pile if your back, line can't block like Kentucky's, anything can be a pass snap because you just get a free lane to the quarterback. Are you tackling the quarterback or the running back at that point? Doesn't particularly matter if you're Jalen Carter. <laughs> you're just tackling ball. You're t- Whoever you're is there, they can get some. Yeah, RPO, handoff, whatever. We're not gonna. Maybe we won't know if it's a run or a pass. That's right. that's that's until <laughs> they're on the ground. Yeah. Yep. Um. So this obviously, based on the way that I talked about it, I, I think it's a very horrendous matchup for mm-hmm. Kentucky. I do. And if they can't figure out that offensive line in a hurry, that's bad news. Carter allows Georgia to be the best version of its defense. They can rush for, they can be more aggressive with their corners on the outside. Levis had a really impressive day last year, I thought, in this game. Because if you actually watched the game and didn't just look at the box score or something like that or look at the final score, you saw the tight windows that he was fitting those balls into. And a lot of this draft conversation with Will Levis, in my opinion, was sparked because of the degree of difficulty of those throws against a very good Georgia defense in a hostile environment. Georgia in this game with this offensive line, they're going to be real aggressive. All right. And they can get home with four. And I think that they're going to be aggressive in coverage because Kentucky's got true freshman receivers lined up on the outside. If they get them off their route, that's when you start seeing the passes deflected, like look out that that's when Georgia can really take over this. This sets up well for, for the Georgia defense to have a big day. And while I don't know that we see Georgia totally dominate the the Kentucky defense because in Lexington they haven't allowed more than 24 points since that shootout against Tennessee last year. I think the dogs should be just fine. I think they will. I think after what Mike Wright did to Kentucky last week, I think Todd Munkin is going to want to use Stetson a bit more as a runner, get him on some of those RPOs where he keeps it. He keeps it and does the play that Jake Fromm would never do when he was at Georgia. And it's all of a sudden like, Oh, there's just 15 yards for free that you just get. Stetson will take it. it. Yeah. There for the taking. Jake, you don't want it? All right, that's fine. Stetson will take it all day, though. And that's why, in my opinion, he's done those little things very, very well. I think we see a run-heavy attack from Georgia. I think they'd love to be able to set set up some play action. They want to get Ladd. They want to get Arian Smith involved as well, somebody who's kind of been coming along, and he needs to come along because it doesn't look like A.D. Mitchell is going to be somebody that they can rely on. Just a shame the way that his season has played out with the nagging injuries. I am really tempted to just say dogs by 30 every week as punishment. For the Tennessee game, I think I deserve that, right? Um, you know what? Let's just roll with that. Let's let's roll with that. Thirty-seven mm-hmm. to seven, Georgia wins this game. Will, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, I think uh, I think you hit on a little bit, which is that the Kentucky defense is still pretty good. Um, I think that the only problem is just the whole other side. It's like every football game is, you know, two and a half sports happening at the same time. It's an offensive and a defense, an offensive defense, then some special teams, and it's like one of those matchups could be okay. The other one, as you discussed. Probably won't be. And special so, teams probably not going to be okay either. I don't really yeah. like the whole Kentucky kicking field goals or really punting the football now with yeah. a backup punter either. That yeah, backup punters is a situation to be in. But anyway, so yeah, you're right. It's like, yeah, I don't want to jump on the Kentucky defense because they have not done a ton wrong. They've been playing their butts off. But uh yeah, it's just it's the same thing we keep talking about. Levis holds the ball. Line is bad. Seawad's awesome, but he's kind of like an after contact kind of guy between the tackle. And like, that's not disrespectful to him. Exactly what you said. It's you're asking where the run starts, not where it finishes. He starts a lot of runs between the tackles. He finishes 70 yards down the field. And he even did that against Fandy. That's also certainly not his fault. Like, I think that, you know, but if you're a between the tackles runner and everything that Georgia has between the tackle 
looks like it crawled out of a lake. Um, it's just yeah. not a good position to be in, really. It's like if you're just not like you would have to be like that type of like Gibbs type running back that's like, okay, well, they're gonna send pressure up the middle and me swing it out to this guy. So yeah, I think that that side of the ball, and like hopefully that's one of those where Stoops kind of looks up and he's like, probably need to change some stuff. They tried that with him last year. If you remember those screen passes that they did with him, they tried running that same screen pass with him twice Mm -hmm. in that game. And it worked the first time. And it was a nice way to get C-Rod on the edge. Mm -hmm. And then they ran it again. And it was like, oh my God, do not ever try and run that play again or else you will lose your starting running back for the year. That's how good Georgia looked. So that's that's the tough thing is like, even if you feel like you can kind of get him on the edges, you get him in some of these swing passes or something like that, Georgia is just so good at not making that mistake again. And they're going to figure that out. You might get them once. And when they make that mistake, you better capitalize. We've talked about that a lot and why Mississippi State doesn't work against them. But that's that's to me why I see this being a really difficult uphill climb for Kentucky all day. Oh, yeah. I was saying, like, look around and say this stuff isn't working as in, like, from a big picture standpoint, like, okay, like, why is your offensive line bad? Now, a lot of that's got to be strength and conditioning, just to be honest. If they go from pretty good, like, borderline elite for, like, the during the neighbor Terry Wilson days to, like, just bad, 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 it's like, I don't think that's a Jimmy's and Joe's issue. I think you got to think about how you're coaching these guys because, I mean, they've had some decent low-line recruits, they've, and they've obviously lost some guys in the NFL. They've lost some guys graduation, but it's like, that's a that's a uh, systemic problem when you have a bad whole offensive line. It's not really, like, oh, bad quarterback and then same deal it's like we talked about my boy Shanahan and his disciples it's like we gotta okay if if Georgia goes and wins this game big and they're favored by 22 so it's not slander if they get near covering it's like if you're stoops you look around and go okay well this brand of football is just not going to beat Georgia so do we need to pivot you know what I'm saying it's tough because and that's what that's the the question that's facing stoops and I shameless plug wrote about this for for Saturday on south.com um, the teams that I think will have new offensive play callers mm-hmm. at the end of the year and what direction I think they could go. And I listed a couple of names for each program. And one of the things that I wondered about with Kentucky, because I do think Rich Scangrell is going to be one and done. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that based on some of the comments that we've seen so far, but the question that I have for Stoops is, does he stick within the scheme? Mm-hmm. Does he say, well, you know what? We had really good results with this with Liam Cohen. Mm-hmm. And they did a lot of things that showed this is why you this is why you modernize because they got Will Levis, they got Wandell Robinson, and you can't tell me that scheme wasn't part of that. It absolutely was, and it's helped them recruit these receivers on the outside as well. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely been a big part of this. But what's your identity? What do you want it to be moving forward? Would you go into let's say the Sunny Dykes tree? and go after somebody that's been there and has operated the air raid offense. Would you Mm -hmm. go with something like that? That could maybe be a little bit more, we're going to spread you out. And that's not to say that it needs to be the Mike Leach version of the air raid. There are a lot of different versions. What we see in terms of, he is honestly kind of the only person that's still running his brand of everybody else saw it and was like, we need to run the dang ball. Like even our boy zappy up there was like running the ball anyway. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think that's, that's the, the identity question, and this is why, if you're Mark Stoops, you get paid that kind of money, and you need to be mm-hmm. able to make that determination because you saw the writing on the wall after 2020, and that was obvious, okay? Mm-hmm. It was obvious, and you made a really smart, savvy hire, but what do you do now, and what does it look like for 60 minutes against the cream of the crop in this division, the the team that you are aspiring to one day be able to measure up to? You have to be able to make that determination, and maybe he'll be able to get some signs over the course of 60 minutes watching his offense trying to operate against this Georgia defense. Um, I'll say one more thing that we could move on. But the uh, the thing about that that's interesting is a lot of these coaches 
have gone with floor raisers instead of ceiling raisers as their offensive coordinator. And I think that Kentucky has kind of done that over time. And when you when your bread and butter offense, and I know Will Levis is good, but the the when their offense works the best, let's be honest, it is C Rod between the tackles, like pulling dudes forward, and then they hit that play action off of that the little like big, yeah, right, exactly. They'll do that, and then they'll hit kind of like the 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 what's it called the stretch, and then uh, Levis will keep it, hit a guy downfield. Okay, well when you when you do that, and that's a little bit, it's not, it's kind of in that hybrid between old school and modern because it's still like an NFL scheme, but it's not like a college. It's not like the the, the air raid as you were discussing. So point being, you could look at Leach, you could look at what Kentucky has done, and you could look a little bit at Tennessee and say, okay, these offenses have gotten us to this point where we're like, a, we we can compete with anybody but Georgia or maybe Alabama. And then you ask yourself, okay, what's our, do we want to be here and like have our floor really high? Or do we want to shoot for the moon and go get somebody that, because you know, when you match up with Georgia, we saw that when Georgia manned up Tennessee, it was over. When they manned up UK, it's over. When they manned up Arkansas, it was over. And so sometimes like you have to like do a little bit of 3D chess and be like, okay, we need to play a certain way to get here. But then once we're here, we got to go somewhere else. Anyway. The only, yeah. The only thing I'll add to that, it was interesting listening to Alex Golish talk about, after his his comments after the Georgia game in terms of the way that his he thought his scheme lined up and mm-hmm. he said it, it wasn't an issue of scheme and I actually respect him saying that they executed perfectly <laughs> Georgia did everything possible to shut down their scheme <laughs> and that day didn't necessarily make it a foolproof this scheme will never work against Georgia and oh realized- no, no no that's not what I'm saying but mind you that's also in year two you know, I mean, if they get some recruiting classes and I mean, the talent disadvantage between Tennessee and Georgia is not talked about nearly enough because they have hooker, they have a couple of these and they have these great receivers. I understand that. But when you talk about being a number one recruiting class or number three, like Georgia has been and Tennessee, which has had, you know, scandals with the NCAA, still looking for their punishment. You know, you had Pruitt and all these weird guys who's moving in and out. Give them a couple of years in that system. And they'll be fine. But I'm saying the smoke and mirrors aspect of it works when you don't when you're not playing a team like Georgia that can just man you up you yeah, know what i'm saying exactly. i don't think that's i don't think that i don't want to like get misquoted i i and, and i said it it's not that i'm wrong but it's the fact that they don't have the jimmies and joes yet that scheme yes. might work agreed agreed and it's really hard to get those jimmies and joes and that's why mark soups is working on that right now and banging oh, yeah. the nil drum as loud as he possibly can okay uh let's stay in the sec east florida's a 14 and a half point favorites going to nash vegas mm-hmm. facing the doors the red hot doors many are winning saying. streak of one long winning streak the over under i have will 40,349 paid attendance okay mm-hmm. why did i settle on that number do you think oh boy is this so it's at vandy it's at vandy is that as big as their stadium is, is that the most they can have the capacity for a sellout at vandy 40,350 so i'm one less oh boy so i'm asking are we going to get a sellout? Because they've hit that four times in the playoff era. Believe it or not, they have. Oh, yeah. They have not hit it since 2019 Georgia. And yes, Georgia may or may not have been, but definitely was a large majority of that sellout. <laughs> I was about to say, I remember that game. I don't think those were Nashville. Yeah. Maybe Nashville residents, but not, not Vandy fans. Yeah, you tell Georgia fans, hey, you're kicking off the season at Vandy. They're like, sweet, sign me up. <laughs> Let's go. I love country music. Let's go. Of course. So up until last Saturday... You, you know what else Vandy hadn't done since the 2010s? Will, hmm. very aware of, of that. Had one hey. SEC game. Right, exactly. So what's to say this won't be a sellout? Florida fans travel. They do. Mm-hmm. They, they travel really well. Personally, I know the Orlando to Nashville flights, not as great as one would think. Okay. 
still working mm-hmm. on being able to get more of those streamlined. I don't know. Maybe some Florida fans are flying out of different places. Maybe some of them fly out of Gainesville. I don't know, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. but 11 a.m. local kick. Still got the rest of the day to properly do Nashville. If you want to mm-hmm. properly do Nashville on Friday night, maybe you're nursing a little bit of a hangover. I don't know if the tailgating scene is really going to get you out of bed at like 7.30 in the morning anyways. But nonetheless, situation kind of lends itself to pretty nice visiting crowd, one would think, or even a little bit more of the casual crowd because both teams are coming off a win. You've got mm-hmm. a couple of electric quarterbacks who are playing the best football of their career. I went on StubHub and I looked at some ticket prices for this one. I did. <laughs> I'm laughing. How much because, did it take to get in there? Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't look at get in price. I didn't. I should. Um, I looked at the description before, you know, like before you click on an event, something right. like that on a website like StubHub, it had a fire emoji saying, quote, this event is selling fast for Vanderbilt Commodores football. Okay. Let's go doors. You can sit on the 50, three rows up for 90 bucks. Okay. Now, 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 now that's actually pretty fire. You go to Nashville. That's a couple hours of entertainment. You know what I'm saying? A nice metropolitan. And then to your point, you can just walk right out of there. It's kind of like in the middle of Nashville and just have yourself the rest of your day. They could be the soberest part of your day if it starts at 11 a.m. Yeah. Like that's the price of three drinks in Nashville. All right. Right. Like that's that's economic. I like that. That's nothing. You get a little entertainment, three and a half hours of entertainment. That's that's pretty good. Not too bad. Um, so win a game, you got people believing. I, I think that crowd is going to be a little bit more full than what we're used to seeing for Vandy. Only problem besides all the other things that I've named so far, the whole lack of fans that usually show up to Vandy football games, high of 44 on Saturday. Not great. Wish we could be a little bit better. That's, that's a little bit too, too chilly on the, the, in terms of the fall spectrum of mm-hmm. these peak days when you, you get like ah, low sixties, that nice crisp chill in mm-hmm. the air. That's, that's, that's a little bit, uh, that's a little bit on the chilly side, but I am, uh, I'm still a believer that Florida has turned the corner. I, I think, especially on offense. And this should be a relatively competitive game, relatively competitive game. And I think Florida would be wise to not sleep on the Vandy offense because Will Shepard difficult got to cover for 60 minutes. And if you let Mike Wright keep plays alive, like he did against Kentucky, he can make you pay. Uh, we saw Vandy struggle to run uh, down the stretch. Um, and is, well, I guess I, I shouldn't say to run. They struggled to stop the run is what I meant. Right. And it's really tempting to want to throw the ball 30 plus times in this game. All right. Vandy pass defense, well-documented. Sorry, very sorry. Mm-hmm. It is. I think Billy Napier sticks with the ground-heavy approach. I think Florida pulls away late, really late, to win a three-score game, and it kind of starts off in that zone where you're just like, uh, Florida, you have a football game. You have the chance to still win nine games total this year, including the bowl game. Mm -hmm. You need to wake up and take care of business against Vandy, and Vandy maybe is going to show up with some life. Who knows? If Vandy won this, get this, this would be the first SEC winning streak since they beat Ole Miss and Tennessee in consecutive games in 2018. How the turntables. Wow. What a world that was. That was a very different universe. Those teams were in at that point in time. Yeah. A lot of stuff's changed just a little bit. Don't even remember who I was in 2018. I was doing this podcast in 2018, but barely remember who I was in 2018. Lifetime ago. Mm -hmm. Jeez. How do you see this playing out? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think to your point, like I, I'm I'm right there with you. I think that you know Florida fourteen and a half, like that's that's been a rivalry that like it's stupid because you kind of can call it that because Vandy was like always the team that was given um given Mac just kind of the business. And, like I just remember watching those like nine six games that they would have and like, but that was obviously under Derek Mason. I know it was like a different era, but Vandy I think historically has always given like the last ten years have definitely given Tennessee the business and Florida I think is second, but they don't really have like as many wins over Florida. But yeah, I think Florida wins. If you're a Florida fan, you get I think you get you know at least a three quarter game. You know if you want to go out there and watch it and have a great day and be like we won, good job, about to hit it. But I, I don't think Vandy's gonna win. No. No, I don't either. I think Florida continues a really nice finish to the season and the potential ultimate good vibes team heading into 2023 is very much on the table, but you can't lose to Vandy. It still holds <laughs> that time. You from you, good vibes. Automatic yeah. disqualification. All right, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, number 14, Ole Miss traveling to face Arkansas. The over-under I have is one and a half references to the game of the year last season. Mm-hmm. Go listen to the adjustment more that we did on this game. Last year, I have it spotlighted uh, on our SoundCloud page, Saturday Down South uh, on SoundCloud. Go listen to it. That game was incredible. It was. This game, slightly different feel to it. Okay. Just a little bit different. A little bit. Yeah. You know, Arkansas fighting for bowl eligibility. Ole Miss fighting to maybe have an outside chance at a New Year's Six Bowl, though I kind of outlined the other day why I still think that's really unlikely because probably four SEC teams going to be ahead of them in that final playoff rankings. That's the way that it works with the New Year's Six. Both that's one of those classic like, all right, good news, we're 14th. Bad news, we're 5th in the SEC. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> that really sucks. Because they're, they're going to be they're gonna be one of those spots where they, they could very well be 10-2, and two, just like yeah. last year. And 10-2 and two going to the Sugar Bowl – it's a little bit different than 10 and two going to the citrus bowl. No, no bad words against the citrus bowl. All right. I love the citrus bowl. Yeah, we do right here in my neck of the woods. We love it, but eh, a little bit different field than the sugar bowl. Mm-hmm. Both, both of these teams went healthy, not fun to play against brother. <laughs> do not, I know it? Yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll grind. I mean, they will I, maybe just maybe depending on their, their mindset going into this one, because going to have to stop the run. You're going to have to try and stop the run against these two teams. We know that's the case. That's what they're going to try and do each and every week when they're at their best. Maybe we can get a little bit of a repeat of last year. At least there's going to be moments in which it's both teams kind of trading touchdowns in this one over under for this game. The actual over under is in the low sixties. So should be a good fun offensive game, but that would probably take Arkansas being healthy. My guy, John neighbors pointed this out when KJ's healthy, Hogs are averaging 37 points, 494 yards. Good. Take that all day. Mm-hmm. When he's not healthy, they're averaging 15 points per game, 383 yards per game. Not good. Would not take that all day. Would not take that on Sunday. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I don't know what KJ is going to look like until he's out there. Sam Pittman, very optimistic about him playing, but who knows, you know, that extra week to be able to kind of get healthy before BYU looks like it really paid off for him. And he looked awesome in that game up in Provo. And maybe we'll see a similar kind of bounce back form in this one. I don't know, because in a nutshell, if you told me KJ is going to be right and he's going to look like he's 100 percent, I would take that over Jackson Dart. I just would. <laughs> yeah. Great Kiffin. Did you see the Kiffin soundbite about Jackson Dart this week? What did he say? OK, so. Uh, and this is genius, by the way. More coaches should do this. They really should. Uh, 
he said he called Kiffin said that he called Jackson Dart's mom to apologize for how her son was. Oh, I did him. hear this. He said, that's yeah. the mom. That's not me. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, that's. And, uh, and she said, according to Kiffin, that it's a shame her son gets treated differently because of what program he plays at. And Lane, Lane says, you can't find me for something that somebody else says. Genius. Why don't mm-hmm. we do that more often? I need to do that. I should have just said, that wasn't me on, on fine mom talking about Tennessee beating Georgia this year. That was my brother, Ryan. <laughs> that was maybe. Liam Cohen. Go yeah. on. That was Liam Cohen. He had a break from training camp. He just went up there. Smart, that genius, absolutely. You know, incredible. you know what my takeaway from that soundbite was. Oh, poor little old Miss, just can't win at old Miss. Oh, if only I coached at a real school, maybe I could win. Oh, right. oh, I that's what hope. he says. Take the man at his word. Every step, I know I've already done that. That's what I'm saying. But if you guys haven't heard my whole thing about Lane Kiffin, it's like, bro, every time he gets a chance to dump on Ole Miss, he does it. And it bothers me because again, it's like, well, you know, those big time programs get treated differently. But anyway. By the way, a little cleanup uh, on that, like it related to, to what Lane is, Jackson Dart's mom is talking about here. Right, yeah. At the time that we recorded, I hadn't seen the, the clip of Dallas Turner basically bouncing Jackson Dart's head off the turf. Hadn't yeah. seen that. That's dirty play. That's dirty play. And you can say that's that stuff happens. Yeah, it happens. And when it happens, it's a dirty play. That's that's the way that that works. If I had seen that, my tone would have been probably a little bit different. So just kind of wanted to make sure that that was known, that I wasn't just ignoring that. I don't have any sort of pro-Dallas Turner narrative, anti-Dallas Turner narrative, whatever the case may be. Dirty Mm -hmm. play, shouldn't be able to do that stuff. You understand that. Right. Anyway, who wants to stop the run? (laughs) That's the ultimate (laughs) question. Who who wants to? Who's going to sign up for that? By far the leading rushers in the SEC, Judkins and Rocket, should have first team all SEC locked up at this point, basically, Mm -hmm. unless one of them gets hurt. And even that, I still think they would still be set up well. Not sure that we're going to see Zach Evans in this one because of the concussion that he had against Bama. Quinshawn Judkins, our guy, is up to 15 rushing touchdowns this year. Mm -hmm. Trivia question for you. Four SEC running backs have had more than 15 rushing scores. So I guess at least 16 rushing scores in a season since the start of 2018. So this is just SEC running backs. Can you name who those running backs are, Will? Oh my gosh, 15. All right, so one of them has to be C-Rod, right? C-Rod has not hit that in a year. No, he has not. Oh my gosh, yeah. That was you're you're on the right tr- You're on the right track. That's a hint. Oh no, gosh. Who's the guy that was his backfield mate? Um, I'm going to guess all day, man, because Alabama has a committee. LSU's had a committee. I know that Ole Miss kind of like had one. You were right it? there. I'm... You were right there with all of it. You're, you're going to kick yourself with this. All right. Sure, so, yeah. so Najee had 26 in 2020, yep. which yep. was just ridiculous in a shortened season against only SEC competition. Mm-hmm. Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 16 in 2019 oh that's crazy because he had a bunch of receiving touchdowns too so like that's that's i imagine him as like a receiving threat yep uh and then benny snell that's who you're there we go snell yeah of course that's that's the that's the one i'm gonna kick myself over yeah and then travion williams who had one of the most i always bring this up one of the most underrated seasons from a running back in the sec that we've seen in the 21st century what he did in year one with jimbo hit 18 Mm -hmm. rushing touchdowns that year and was really really good um but yeah that's that's kind of the list and Jenkins is really close to joining that, which is just crazy considering 
how little we were talking about him coming into the year and how much we we're talking about Zach Evans, Ulysses Bentley, and the way that it's right. played out there. Yeah, that's the other yeah. thing, too, is he kind of has had a committee backfield, and that's like what's kept Ole Miss from having those guys. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, you're talking about a freshman who's like a three-star recruit from a place in Alabama, Pike Road, I've never heard of. And so, like, this dude, yeah, like if you had done the who's going to lead the SEC in rushing touchdowns thing, we would have gotten like 20 or 30 names before we got to Judkins, yeah. probably. Definitely would not have been able to, and wouldn't have named Rocket either. I, Dominic Johnson was all being the drum team. Obviously, he's been hurt for the vast majority of the season, but man, just two guys that were supposed to be in committees that have really kind of come up out of nowhere. And when they're not on the field, their teams really miss them and they need mm -hmm. to be at full go. Unless Judkins is just gassed after the Bama game, uh, which he played 66 snaps in that one. Yeah. Um, we know he was gassed kind of down the stretch. A lot of work to be able to get there to get set up for that potential game-winning touchdown. But unless unless that's the case, I, I just have more faith in the old Miss ground attack than what we've seen from Arkansas lately. And while I realize the Hogs have looked better defensively, and that's a positive, I just think it's an entirely different beast to face the rushing attack that operates the way that Ole Miss does with mm -hmm. that tempo. So I'm going to take Ole Miss to win on the road 35-28, which would probably be Ole Miss's best win of the year. Maybe. I mean, that's I saw that conversation being thrown out there. It's like Troy, Kentucky. I don't know, man. I texted you yesterday. I was like, what was Lane Kevin's best win since he got to Ole Miss? And I was like, his highest rated win, the team that finished ranked the highest, was Indiana, the first bowl game. Yeah. So listen, Indiana appreciators, people forget, not us. But yeah, I mean, this has been like an interesting season because that Kentucky win at the time felt massive. And now it's just like, well, they also lost to Vandy. So yeah. like, I don't know. that I, I love that Kentucky team to start the year, man. It's really sad what's happened to them. But yeah, no, that, that was supposed to be their like coming out party. So it's hard to, yeah. All right, let's let's end here with Tennessee, number five team in the country, 21 and a half point favorite against South Carolina. The over-under that I have, 0.5 references to 2019 South Carolina, Georgia. Why do I bring that up? Why do I bring that up? Um, not to troll Georgia fans, I promise. I'm not trying to mm -hmm. do that. That was the first and only time that the Gamecocks beat a top five team in the playoff era. That's mm -hmm. it. That's all. The last time they beat a top five team at home was a decade ago when they beat Georgia. 2012 beat him like a drum that was georgia's mm -hmm. lone regular season loss of course and then we know how that played out in the sec championship mm -hmm. slightly different circumstances because that south carolina team back in 2012 with spurrier legit top 10 team uh this south carolina team perfectly mediocre i think is okay to be able to say and mediocre is nice for this offense okay mm -hmm. somebody calls them mediocre you'll say whoa <laughs> wow they had a great week there <laughs> yeah uh and the fire sat hashtag that just is everywhere all the time i imagine that will pop up just a few times probably in this game i went back and i removed all of the anything that could be called beamer ball points so if you take out every non-offensive point by mm -hmm. this offense south carolina's offense is averaging 18.9 points per sec game not good. Not good at all. That's just 2004. You might be in business in 2022. Not so much. 2004. You're still giving yourself an uphill climb, man. That's, that's still really trying to be positive here. I don't know. Mediocre. Hey, yeah. maybe. No, not so much. Um, and, and by the way, that's not including when they convert on some fake punts to extend the drive or they block a kick or they get an interception that sets them up with great field position because that has happened mm -hmm. as well this year. Here's an interesting stat. When they allow at least 28 points under Shane Beamer, they're all in eight. When they allow less than 28 points, 13 and two. 
Okay. Oh my goodness, bro. And 28 is like not even that big of a number in modern college football. It's not. It's really not. You can not. have a bad offensive day and score 28 points. Easily. Very, very well could. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's just the case. And South Carolina is not winning a shootout with Tennessee. Just not. Yeah. Every South Carolina fan would, would tell you, yep, that checks out. That is not the type of game that we need to play in order to win this game. There is no world whatsoever in which I can picture Spencer Radler going back and forth with Hendon Hooker in some 38-35 game. Okay? Can't, can't close my eyes and see it. Just can't. All right? I'm trying to have an open mind. Not to that. Just don't. I, it's kind of crazy to think about where both of these quarterbacks were 15 months ago, right? Think about that. Rattler is the future number one overall pick, the Heisman Trophy favorite, or at least he's like second in the odds. Mm-hmm. Hooker is the 23-year-old backup quarterback, okay? That's bananas to think about how much their worlds have collided because not even Anthony Triash over at PFF would take Spencer Rattler over Hennon Hooker right now, all right? And I'm pretty sure that Anthony Trias might be Spencer Rattler's brother, his cousin. I don't know. He's something. He got, he got a hoodie with a little little Rattler on it. There's a blood relation there. There's got to mm-hmm. be. And look, I was as a, as a Spencer Rattler defender, I'm allowed to be able to say this. All right. And well, Dev Anthony, come on. Discuss it on the podcast sometime. I, I really would. But man, it has just been rough. It really has. And to see these quarterbacks go in totally opposite directions. I think it's very, very obvious the way that it has played out the last year. So the question becomes then, all right, so South Carolina can't win that type of game. Can they stop Tennessee's offense? Not likely. The good news for South Carolina, they got one of the top corners in America in Cam Smith. Okay. He said this week, Saturday, pretty likely to be his last home game. Would understand that. Potential first round pick. All right. Understand it. He's probably going to be matched up on the outside against either Brew McCoy or Cedric Tillman. That's if Cedric Tillman's able to return. Sounds like there's a good chance at that, but Josh Heupel's been really coy about his availability pretty much all year, ever since he had the ankle injury. It's apparently not related to that. Whatever the case may be, he will probably be lined up on the outside. So either way, we're going to get a great physical matchup on the outside. That's the good news for South Carolina. You should feel okay about that. And Darius Rush is also having a really nice year for the Gamecocks. And like Cam Smith, lines up almost exclusively on the outside. The bad news for South Carolina, Jalen Hyatt exists. Yeah. And he lines up in the slot all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And he's going to get a billion targets in this game, a billion. And they're going to pick on DQ Smith all day. They will. That is is coming. That is not – if they don't, I'd be stunned. We would have – it would have to be Jalen Hyatt is seriously hurt and something has happened or the apocalypse has happened. That's mm-hmm. how likely this is, that, that that's where they're going to pick, and that's where they're going to try and attack this South Carolina, and that's where they should have a lot of success against this South Carolina defense. Jalen Hyatt's got a legitimate shot to win the Bulletnikoff Award as the best receiver in America. He leads all power five receivers in yards and touchdown catches. It could end up coming down to Hyatt versus Marvin Harrison Jr., a couple of guys who have both stepped up incredibly with their mm-hmm. team's top receiver, basically dealing with nagging injuries all year, and I tip my cap to both of them. That catch that Marvin Harrison Jr. had last week, did you see the still image of his knee? Because my knee dislocated for the fourth time watching it. It's incredible. <laughs> Unbelievable play. I mean, really, he's been amazing. Um, This should be a really big day for Hyatt, though, which is saying something after the year that he's had. South Carolina is going to need some non-offensive touchdowns just to make this one relatively close in the second half. Even if Marshawn Lloyd returns against that solid Tennessee run defense, I do not have a lot of confidence in the Gamecocks. 
There's definitely a scenario in which I could see South Carolina blocking a kick, maybe a punt, returning it for a touchdown. Sandstorm is rocking. You're like, hey, hey, you never know. I can't bank on that. You just can't. So I'm going to say Vols win by 25, 42, 17, Tennessee wins. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, good news and bad news. Hey, compliment sandwich. You got defense, pretty well figured out. You got special teams, super figured out. Maybe the best special teams unit in the SEC. Unfortunately, there is a whole other part oh, of the game. It's the one where you have to score points. And I, like I said, I talked about it last week. I really thought about picking them uh, against Florida, and then I realized they had to play offense. And don't you know what? That's exactly what happened. They just couldn't. And so, like, yeah, I like a lot of what they're doing here. And and another, I, I love that you brought this up. So we're on the same, like, plane here. But, you know, South Carolina is good to have, like, one or two, like, great DBs, like, about every other year. About, like, they'll have, like, those guys. And you look through the NFL, and they have, like, a sneaky claim to DBU. Like, if you look at some of the guys that they've had, and, and they're there again. It's like, well, you got one good DB. Unfortunately, even with a guy hurt, Tennessee has two good receivers. You yeah, know what two. I'm saying? Darius Rush has had a he's had a really nice year. I'll say, but Cam Smith is the NFL guy. Right. He's the one yeah, that you're yeah, like, yeah. this is your true lockdown. Yeah. But you know, to that point, it's like, well, these guys in the slot, you're gonna change your whole defense to just yep. cover Hyatt by himself. You know, you can't do that. You need a third one. And that's the thing. And then it's like, well, if everybody's healthy, then they got three receivers, and then Hyatt's in the same situation. So it's like that's the thing about South Carolina, why this job to me has always been pretty appealing because you know, you get these guys coming out of South Carolina, you're like, oh my gosh, where did he play? Everybody in the NFL. It's like and we saw it obviously you know what i'm saying like we saw these little pharaoh coop oh okay and you see him in the nfl it's like where and, and like they always have like and they have we talked about you know lloyd the tight end they've had like all these guys in this roster there's four or five guys and you're like these guys are awesome let's get them the ball but i mean to that point on defense it's just like you need to, to fill some guys in and they've done fine in the recruiting trail but this is just one of those games where it's like schematically offensively there might not be two different more different teams in the sec where you have tennessee who is pushing the boundaries and overcoming the talent you have south carolina who has these dudes who they just don't want to throw the ball to you. i know i would love to just sit there with marcus satterfield while he watches the tennessee offense operate i would just love to know that because they they do different things but yeah. just to see his reaction with the the space that they create and mm-hmm. what what alex golish and josh heupel are able to do with that that offense and how easy they make it look at times when it's not it's not right. supposed to be easy and I would love to just be able to sit there with him, the guy who can't die. He can't draw up these looks for his tight end, his best offensive skill player, or at least, you know, maybe Marshawn Lloyd is better, but you get what I'm saying. A very valuable weapon that Jaheim Bell is. And right. I would love to just sit there and watch him, you know, like in home alone, I've always bring this up when Joe Pesci is just muttering, you know, their obscenities, but right. they're, they're not actually words. That would be Marcus Satterfield watching the Tennessee offense do what it does compared to what South Carolina does. Yeah, it's bad. Just hit the old pause in the TiVo. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that? You like that? <laughs> think that was cool? All right. <laughs> Marcus, did you see the double move? The double move. It's it's see, always running thing. wide open in the middle of the field. That's nice. Take a picture. It's the last yeah. time you go see it. Anyway. <laughs> you see Princeton fan. You know he might get the occasional handoff, but but you see he's not getting 16 carries. All right, <laughs> you don't have to do that to your tight end to get him touches. Just a conversation, an open dialect. To be we we can do simulcast for everything. All right, they give McAfee a simulcast. Let's give Marcus Satterfield a simulcast in which I can interact with him the entire time, and he's not doing a whole lot when they're you know when Tennessee's on offense. So yeah, just let's just ever. make it happen. And to be clear. 
we're not making fun of Sethco. We're on the same page that you are, Sethco. We like we're this team you. a lot. Yes. Like, you've kind of done the hard parts, right? Like, you even got the crazy quarterback that nobody saw there. Like, not crazy, but, like, that, it was a crazy move at the time. It's like, wow. And so, like, you've done the hard part. So, you just need to fix this one thing, and you're, you're good. You're solid. Yeah. I think Tennessee uh, Tennessee essentially sets up itself to to have a, a Vandy or bust 11-1 mark going into conference championship weekend, which – not a bad place to be for, mm-hmm. for Tennessee. Okay, let's close with lock of the week. Like I said the other day, lock of the week, man. It's a heater. This is mm-hmm. a heater. I have never been this hot with lock of the week, so that means it's going to come crashing down on me. Uh, Utah had me a little bit worried with the slow start. It's like 14 to 7, half. I'm like, oh, man, this is really not good. But One thing use. about Utah that we learned is you can't you can't count on them for anything. <laughs> Lies. I, I will continue to support Utah always. They can that second half, man. Like first five minutes, they're like, "Oh yeah, Connor, we got you. We're good. <laughs> We're gonna take care of business for you." Um, yeah, they covered minus twenty four against Stanford pretty easily. I started zero and two in lock of the week, and we're now mm-hmm. at eight and three. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm like LSU. That's basically what I am this year. Oh yeah. So whenever you see the graphic on any sort of Saturday Down South social of how horrible I've been with my picks against the spread. I mm-hmm. need people who listen to this to just, you know, comment, whatever. I'm not necessarily a big reply guy myself. So, you know, get in the trenches for me here. I'm asking you to do this. Say, well, you know, Connor's eight and three in lock of the week. So that's all that really matters. Okay. None mm-hmm. of these games are lock of the week. It's not he's not betting 10 SEC games a week, guys. Come on. Yeah. Now he's not really, I don't think you could bet at all as a journalist, but if you had to pick one, that's what that segment's about. So exactly. And, and, and we're helping everybody out unless the people that, uh, faded me when I said you should probably fade me after the 0-2 start. In which case, sorry in about case that. In case you've you've gone 0 and yeah, you, you've gone over. So we've got a chance to be on the right side of history. Okay, oh, yeah. so so you're on you're on board from here on out. Let's pick another winner. Uh, we're going back to the place where it all started. In a way, in a way. Okay, um, I'm picking against my alma mater. Oh, yeah. Again, it was my get right pick in week three. It's my stay right pick in week 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. Michigan State, 10.5 point home favorite against Indiana. Spartans fighting for bowl eligibility. Okay. Indiana mm-hmm. is not three and seven, not a good place to be. IU has more than 23 points in one Big Ten game all year. It was a month ago at home against Maryland. I remember sending my buddy Candler, you know, well, okay. Let me say it this way Candler was being nice because Candler's a very nice guy. Mm-hmm. And he's, he sends me a text like, wow, it's awesome, man. Indiana's three and oh, that's, that's, really great and then me being the skeptic that i am i'm basically like no nah, this team blows chunks it's bad <laughs> which is like the pantheon of connor and <laughs> i sh- in hindsight i should have just just accept the compliment connor just accept when someone is trying to say something nice about indiana football all right just 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 take it and go with it but no mm-hmm. i couldn't be that look I was right. They're three and seven now. So I wasn't totally off my rocker by saying that, but nonetheless. Wait, have they lost seven straight games? No way. Oh, yeah, they have. Yeah, oh. they have. It's bad. Oh, it's real I bad. I thought they had won one or two. No, anyway. That's no. The win against Western Kentucky, a game which Western Kentucky covered, that was my lock of the week, was Western Kentucky covering. Mm-hmm. That was their last win of the year. And it's not going to happen against Michigan State. It's not. Yeah. Michigan State doesn't really blow teams out, so this is a bit of a gamble here. They did win at Illinois a couple weeks ago, kind of shook up the old Big Ten West just in case. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's essentially done that this year. But winners of three of their last four, the lone loss being the 22-point loss at Michigan, 
That was a lock of the week in which the Spartans covered by half a point. So we're going back to the well a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Michigan State covers minus 10 and a half. Lock it in. Nine and three would be great. Be really great. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and then we'll close with Bold and Brash SEC hoops with Adam. Hey guys, you know how sports betting isn't legal in all these states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, etc. In other words, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about underdog fantasy. You may have tried daily fantasy in the past, but underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. And they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play with on these contests. So what does it look like for college football? Every week, you can pick higher or lower for different players. For example, Stetson Bennett, higher or lower, 200 passing yards. It's pretty similar to sports betting player props, just like the over-unders that we talk about every single preview pod on the Saturday Down South podcast. And you can put real money on the line. Yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. All right. So I just looked at some of the higher lowers on underdog. I'm going to pick a couple that I like here for Thursday night football. If you're listening to this after Thursday night football, how dare you? Definitely do not call me out on this. Um, let's go with our guy, Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks is coming back off injury. Came back last week. I, I always love Traylon Burks. He hunts hogs with a knife. All right. Uh, he's hitting over 34 and a half receiving yards. And then a, another totally unbiased pick from me, uh, Aaron Rodgers under 244 and a half passing yards and a little, little bonus for you under 33 and a half passing attempts. He's too old to be throwing the football that much short rest. Not going to happen. All right, guys, that's it. Underdog is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room. You can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Yep, you can win. You can get up to $100 free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and brash, little SEC hoops. SEC hoops is in full swing, as I'm sure uh, many people who were awaiting the third playoff rankings, which pretty inconsequential saw. Adam was fighting people left and right. Okay, so <laughs> real quick, you're on the West Coast. So it's a little bit different staying up late and having to watch that as opposed to those of us on the East Coast and we're like, crap, we still got to do content related to the playoff. But I understood where you're coming from. It was great basketball that we got to see from Kentucky and Michigan State. If there was a little bit more drama going into these recent rankings, I would have I would have been there with you. I mean, it, but it was just pretty clear what the top four, even the top five was going to be with Tennessee coming in at number five there. There wasn't much drama. So because of that, the basketball won out. But yeah, if, if this had been, you know, the first playoff rankings, maybe then I, I understand it a little bit more. And it used to be that the first playoff rankings you know these teams used to start the champions classic as like their first games out of the gate but then they moved it back a couple weeks so uh I, I remember a few years ago when it was the first playoff rankings that used to come out between the games so that was uh you know the, the those that would have been a little bit more annoying but yeah for uh for this one i was i was fine to wait until the end of that uh 
exciting, if not frustrating, uh, Kentucky loss to Michigan State to figure out the top four that everybody already knew. Exactly. And we'll, we'll get to some uh, some predictions here in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. But on Kentucky, I mean, I think everybody kind of wants to know after the way that everything ended last year, the way that this team has tried to bounce back, they're trying to add shooters, and you still kind of watch them in the end of these games. And you're just like, oh boy, this is rough. You've got a piece coming out for, for SaturdayDownSouth.com, which by the time people are listening to this, I believe will be out already. That's related to the the Kentucky struggles and why this is really looking like Cal is kind of losing his touch. Yeah. I mean, he does have shooters, you know, the, he has a talented lineup that he can put out there. He's just, he's just, he doesn't know what to do with this team. He doesn't know what to do with the way that the game has gone. This has been painfully hammered home again and again and again, like just, you know, Antonio Reeves averages 20 points through the first two games. He was a non-factor last night. They just couldn't get him open. CJ Frederick, they couldn't get him, you know, a, he missed a couple clean looks at threes, but you know, he should be shooting like six threes a game. And uh, you know, for him to not make one, I don't think he made one until like either late in the second half or overtime. Like that's not, good you know Kason Wallace is the Ty Ty Washington of this year's team and he needs a bigger role you know I, I would have frankly down the stretch I would have put out you know I would have had Severe Wheeler out there I would have Oscar Sheboy out there then I would have surrounded him with Reeves Frederick and uh and Wallace you know those are your guys you have to be able to space the floor you have to be able to create shots when you get into the lane that is not Severe Wheeler throwing up an ill-advised layup that has very little chance of going in you know wheeler has improved his game he made a couple threes last night and that's something that he wasn't doing last year but these teams are collapsing down on him and they're saying okay you go beat us we're not gonna we're not gonna leave the shooters uh you have to go beat us with one of these wacky layups and john calipari just has no response to that and that's very frustrating for fans to watch especially when as you saw oscar sheboy fouls out and then there's just no plan whatsoever Okay, so is Cal more Saban or more Jimbo right now? <laughs> He's more Jimbo right now, honestly. Uh, you know, this is this is a real, real problem with uh, with the way that this team is operating. You know, Oscar Sheboy is a beast, but like he gets so many of his points off of second chance shots. You know, that's the plan. You know, when when Wheeler gets into the lane and fires up one of these awful layup attempts. Sometimes Oscar's right there, grabs a rebound, puts it back, even gets fouled. He was money from the free throw line last night. Like Sheboy, if he plays like that, he's the player of the year again. No question about it. Like he was electric. He was everything that we wanted to see. Uh, he played a lot more minutes than I'm sure that they wanted him to in his first game back from a knee injury. But, uh, you know, then you saw what happened when he came out, you know, as everybody was awaiting the playoff rankings, Kentucky was falling apart before our eyes because they didn't have Sheboy out there to clean up every single mistake and uh and when and that's the problem is that there are so many mistakes that oscar cleans up that it really hides that calipari has no idea what to do with this basketball team okay so you pick kentucky to win a national championship right that was the preseason pick <laughs> i did i did okay. yes and as long as oscar shibway doesn't foul out i still feel good about that against anybody on any given night it's just you know th they got to figure this out fast I was going to give you a chance to pivot if you wanted to and say, no, I'll, I'll stick with it. Okay. All right. So you, if, if I gave you the chance to say, all right, I'll, I'll give you the sec field to win the national championship. So obviously that includes Arkansas, that includes Tennessee that I'll give you those options instead of Kentucky. You would, you're still taking Kentucky. 
I'm, I'm still taking Kentucky because because I think that this year's team, the roster that nobody is questioning John Calipari's ability to create a roster with a ton of talent. That is something that he is good at. That is what when he got Anthony Davis, that is what won him the national championship that he has at Kentucky. The one national championship that he has at Kentucky, which is becoming a lot more frustrating to a lot of Kentucky fans that he only has the one. But that's that he puts out this team and then he just rolls the ball out there and it, it just seems like he's like okay guys you guys have a ton of talent go figure it out and uh that's not going to work in this era but he still does have a ton of talent this is still one of the deepest most talented teams in the country they just need a little guidance and they need somebody to tell severe wheeler hey like this is not a strategy that's working where you just drive into the lane and fling the ball up like you're James Harden because you're not James Harden with the Houston Rockets. So we need to figure out a little bit more ball movement and whether that's bringing in a new assistant or John Calipari, just figuring out a different philosophy. I don't know, but uh, at least it's November and not yeah. March. It's like the Auburn yeah. guards and severe Wheeler like kind of met up and they're like, Hey, we want to do something to, to keep the ball out of the hands of our, of our best player. Who's clearly the most talented <laughs> yeah. guy. Let's, let's just do the most frustrating yeah. thing at all time. That's, that's kind of right. what it feels like. <laughs> that's, that's a good comp. All right, let's go to the Saturday down South podcast, Facebook group. We've got a lot of bold and brash predictions here. Um, let's start with. Pat, all right, well, let's let's continue with the theme of, of Kentucky to start here. Brad Padgett says Calipari draws up plays in the first uh, or in the half court to get his guys decent looks uh, instead of running the shot clock down and forcing something in the last four minutes of close games. Clearly, I'm a disgruntled Kentucky fan. Yes. Um, yeah, not that would be bold. That's uh, at yeah. this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty much what we're talking about here is uh, that's. That's what it seems like he does. It's just, yeah, go do something. It's like, no, we need coach. Come on, help us out here. We need some guidance. Yeah. It's like the the parent who's a little bit too laissez-faire with their kids. And you're like, no, 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 no. Like you have to, you have to parent now. You you have to, I, I can't <laughs> right. just stay up until three in the morning and have, you know, Mountain Dew two liters just sitting here by the couch, like watching TV, like parenting is supposed to happen now. That's the way that this works. All right. Exactly. Uh, uh, Dave Cozart says Kentucky actually wins an NCAA tournament game. Texas A&M is a top four seed. Mizzou is a surprise bubble team and Tennessee is closer to an eight seed. I'm going to assume that Dave just said the thing about Mizzou because he knew that you were going to be on and joining us and he's trying to pander <laughs> to you. Hey, uh, you know, this has been an exciting start to the year. Like that, I'm don't, you know, maybe I'm a little bit off here, but I think that through four games, they've already scored more points than they did all of last year. It sure seems that way. They've been above 80 like every game. They just went over 100 the other night. Now, I know this obviously this is against lesser competition, but uh, it's been fun to watch. You know, they're getting out rebounded. They're not the most physical team. They don't have they have some size, but the guys who have the size are not contributing in such a way that uh, that they need to just yet. But uh, this Mizzou team's fun. That's uh that's that's something that like I haven't been able to say in recent years because it's just been so plotting and right. you know we just ranted against uh John Calipari and his offensive scheme but uh you know the only coach that might have had worse offensive game plans than John Calipari was Conzo Martin <laughs> and so now Dennis Gates at least 
has drawn up some stuff for these new guys and uh, it's been fun to watch. So I am cautiously optimistic about my, my Tigers. And I do think that being on that bubble, you know, the last four in last first four out, it, that is a realistic expectation. And uh, with the chance to even improve into like a eight or nine seed. What about AM? The the way that last year ended, of course, with getting snubbed for the NCAA tournament, which was just an absolute joke. Do you feel like this is a team that that bounces back and is able to kind of make that next step that we've been waiting for with Buzz Williams? They're gonna miss Quentin Jackson, that's for sure. But I have been impressed with what I've seen from Wade Taylor the fourth so far this year. He's sort of picked up some of that scoring slack. He showed it at times last year. He was uh, you know, he was he was kind of a heat check guy, kind of like a Jamal Crawford who could come off the bench and just, uh, you know, light it up for a, uh, for a few minutes. Um, now he's doing that on a more consistent basis. So if he continues to improve, like that is the key to this team and uh, he'll provide a lot of scoring punch. Um, he's not as, he's not as insane of an athlete as Quentin Jackson was, but uh, you know, he's, he's a good player all around. He can score from anywhere on the court. Um, so he's going to be the key to that team. But I do like, I do like the Aggies. I think that it's good that they're ranked now. And I think that they're going to hold on to that ranking for a while here. Okay, interesting uh, kind of changing of the guard a little bit. Hey, Post-Jabari post era, Hunter Raglan says that Auburn leads the SEC in blocks and repeats as SEC champions. That's bold. Yeah, I like I like Jonai Broom, uh, the the transfer from Moorhead State. Uh, he's he's awesome. I think that, uh, that, you know, he's not going to, you know, single-handedly lead, lead the country probably like, uh, like Walker Kessler did. Um, but he's a good player. Dylan Card Cardwell is going to step into a bigger spot. Uh, and he was, you know, he was right there. He clearly learned a lot from Kessler. I think that they probably had some pretty good battles in practice, uh, just, you know, blocking each other's shots and stuff and just being nightmares for the offensive players. So there's still a lot of uh, post talent on both ends of the court there. You know, they, they can defend, they can, they can score you know that that's a talented front court um yeah again it doesn't have the jabari smith walker kessler star power but there's there's good players there and uh and there's talent all around you know as long as they can avoid some of those things that we talked about earlier with uh you know the the auburn guards who you know took the ball out of jabari and kessler's hands a little bit too much at key moments last year as long as they can avoid that then uh this is one of the deepest teams in the entire SEC, and there's no reason to think that this team shouldn't be a top four seed in the in in the SEC tournament at season's end. I remember last year picking against Auburn in like the second round. Like I had them getting knocked out of the second round in the tournament bracket just because I didn't want to root for those Auburn guards with like that style, just because of how maddening that would it just and, and again, like I have no Instagram with Auburn whatsoever, but just like having to root for that like in a, in a game that, you know, if you have them going to your lead eight or something like that, I was just like, I, I didn't want to be that mad because like, we saw this play out. Okay. We saw this play out over the course or of the your year. final four. Oh, Oh, you had him in the final, final four. four. Oh, Adam. Yeah. Oh man. Who, well, who I, from the SEC I, I didn't had, you can... have in the final four? Uh, well, I had, I didn't have Arkansas in the final four. Um, I had them picked exactly where they ended up. So okay. I, I, I was nailed the, I nailed the hogs projection, but, uh, I had Kentucky and Auburn in the final four and, uh, that did not go my way. So, uh, yeah. 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 Happens to the best of us. Okay. Drew Page says <laughs> LSU finds its way into another SEC championship, this time in basketball. Mike McMahon can make it happen. 
No, no, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think that they're there yet. Uh, you know, we don't even know if they're going to be allowed to play in the postseason just yet. Um, so, you know, that's a that's a big that's a big cloud hanging over Matt McMahon and the Tigers there. Uh, I do like Adam Miller. Um, I do like I do like Adam Miller, the Illinois transfer. He's been money so far. I liked him as a freshman at Illinois. He missed all of last year, obviously, after transferring with an injury. But uh, he's going to be a player that a lot of folks down in Baton Rouge really uh really uh draw to because he's he's a talented shooter he's uh he's a good teammate I, I really like what I what I've seen from him so far and uh you know I, I think he's going to continue to improve I think LSU if everything goes according to plan they can be a top six team in the SEC you know the, I, that's I think their ceiling I, I don't I don't see him as a top four necessarily I don't think that they're there yet and that's fine with a first year coach coming in and uh you know the cloud from the ncaa hanging over the program i know even greg sankey was like come on like we got to figure this this ncaa thing out during uh media days so you know he's putting the pressure on it sounds like so maybe we'll find out sooner rather than later but uh yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't be i wouldn't be banking on cutting down the nets in the sec tournament just yet if i was lsu yeah matt mcmahon by the way i called him mike mcmahon i should learn the guy's name all he did was coach john morant no big deal um, I'll, I'll figure that out <laughs> in time. Yeah. Um, Michael Dark says Georgia wins at least ten games this year. I mean, <laughs> that'd be an unbelievable year, right? Hey, I mean, Mike White is a decent coach. You know, it was a little bit head scratching when Georgia hired him away from Florida. Yes, but not because it wasn't going to improve the Georgia program. It was just. My my issue with with the hire wasn't that it wasn't going to make Georgia better. It's going to make Georgia better. It's going to make them into a a middle of the road SEC team. But like that's it. That's the ceiling is a middle of the road SEC team. That's what you get with Mike White. You get maybe maybe life on the bubble if you're Georgia. That's what he was at Florida. Uh, disappointing with expectations every year. Um, so you know he will turn them into a legitimate basketball program, but is he going to turn them into a consistent sec title contender? No. Is he going to turn them into a consistent NCAA tournament team? No, I think he's going to have them on the fringes of that, but, but that's why it was a confusing hire. You know what the ceiling is for that. And that's what you're signing up for. And that's what you're saying. That's good enough at a program that just is taking over the college football world by storm right now. And you're saying, well, we'll settle for mediocrity with our basketball program. And that was, that was my issue with the hire, but he's going to make them into a respectable program. Okay. So Emory Picker says Georgia is above 500 in conference play. That's, that's the ceiling. That, that That's it right there. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the ceiling. That's, that's where, that's what you're shooting for with, with that you're shooting for 10 and eight in uh, in league play that in a top seven seed. Like I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I think that Georgia has the resources to shoot higher than that. I think that, you know, if they didn't have a world beating football team, that uh, there'd be a little more scrutiny on this, but uh, we'll see how it goes in year one. I, I mean, Kario Okendo is, is a great player. You know, they, they've, they've got some talent on that team. Uh, they, you know, they've had a couple of close calls. They lost a game already, but uh, you know, I'll wait and see until, we get into sec play just to see how competitive you can have them in year one, but uh, he'll, he'll have them, you know, out of the cellar at least this year and uh, moving forward. So I guess that's what they're going for out of the Tom Crean cellar. 
is, is, is what yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'm not yeah, better at if all. If that's no. if that's what you're if that's what you're trying to shoot for, is just better than Tom Crean. I mean, you and I could have taken a swing at that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna actually prepare for a zone defense. We're we're gonna be able to figure out what that looks like uh, in an NCAA tournament game with the most talented team I've ever had. Again, I'm not bitter the way that 2012, 2013 played out, but I'm just saying something. No, to, something to keep absolutely doing. not. Yeah. Absolutely right. not. Yeah. Let's close with this one from Andrew D. Giacomo. He says, I'm going to follow uh, several different themes of 2022 here. Much like baseball and football, Tennessee comes out looking strong and then gets tripped up late in the season and all their dreams are shattered. Also, much like baseball and football, LSU under another first-year head coach plays very inconsistent all season, but somehow finds their way to the top of the SEC and achieves way more than anyone thought possible. If Tennessee does that again this year, oh, that, that pill to swallow for Tennessee fans with Rick Barnes would be brutal, absolutely brutal. Do you see that playing out? Well, they've already haven't really started strong with that loss against Colorado on Sunday. So, you know, that they're going to need to figure stuff out too. You know, this is a, this is another team that I have an issue with how their offense is run. You know, Rick Barnes has even said, like, if we're open, we're launching from three and stuff, but what they had last year that made them effective down the stretch and uh, what led to them winning the SEC tournament last year was that Kennedy Chandler really developed into the player that he became. And he's the kind of guy that I was talking about that you need with severe Wheeler, like severe Wheeler is getting into the lane, but he's not finishing at a high enough rate in there. Once Kennedy Chandler started finishing at a higher rate at the rim, for Tennessee, that opens up Vescovi for threes. That opens up Triple J for threes. You know, that opens up Zakai Ziegler for for open shots. The, the, but now they have Ziegler in that role, and this Tyreek Key guy that they got from Indiana State. He's he's a really good player. But uh, you know, when you have Vescovi shooting two for eleven from three point range, it's like, well, something has changed from last year, and that something is that Ziegler is not the finisher that Chandler was. He's not the distributor that Chandler was. Now. He's a really nice player um, and he's going to be a spark plug now that he's coming off the bench again, which I think he even wanted to do before the season. He wanted to be the sixth man who provides that spark off the bench. And now after some woes in the early part of the season starting, Rick Barnes is like, okay, we'll move you back to that role. And I think that's going to help. But uh, Vescovi is not getting the open looks because he doesn't have the guy who's drawing a ton of defensive attention right now. Um and maybe that player's on the roster. I don't know. You know, it's still early for Julian Phillips, the the talented freshman that they have. But, uh, you know, we'll see if he can. He's a different player than Kennedy Chandler. I'm not saying he's going to fill that role exactly, but we'll see if he can become a, a special player in the first round NBA draft talent that a lot of people think that he'll eventually be because that would help immensely, too. Who would get more heat if they didn't make it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament? Rick Barnes, John Calipari. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's tough i mean you don't want to mess with vol twitter so maybe uh, exactly right maybe maybe on social media uh rick barnes would definitely get more heat but uh in in the fandom i think like just in the real world i think john calipari would get way more heat because it's like come on man like you got another elite recruiting class you got the reigning player of the year who it looked based on last night looked like he was going for another uh becoming the first guy since ralph sampson to win it twice so you know i, I think that uh i think that calipari is under more pressure this year i would say um but i mean that, that's not to 
that's not to discount the frustrations that Vol fans feel from Rick Barnes in March Madness, but he did just at least win the SEC tournament. So that's some hardware. True, true. Fair enough. Uh, Adam, you got a lot of basketball content, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Tell everybody about what you got going on there, starting five, and then everything that you're doing with Blue Chip Grit. Yeah, so uh, starting five comes out Tuesdays and Fridays during the season. Um, we're going to have a big piece on Friday about uh, John Calipari and uh, and his offense. So uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more. Um, Blue Chip Grit, uh, once the season gets going a little bit more, that's a newsletter that you can sign up for that uh, that'll come out a couple times a week as well. We're still ironing out the dates on that. That'll probably come out on Tuesday and Friday mornings too. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So. Yeah, a lot of basketball stuff coming up. I know it's still football season, but uh, we'll be we'll be waiting for y'all when uh, when <laughs> when uh, there's that lull in between uh, in between the end of the regular season and uh, bowl season. So uh, just check it out whenever uh, whenever you get a chance. There's a lot of uh, great games coming up next week for Feast Week too. Love it, love it. Go subscribe to that. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not done so. Follow us on all forms of social media at the SDS Pod on Twitter at Sat Down South on Twitter as well. Leave us a five star review. Give give reviews to everything related to Saturday Down South. That's what I always say. Um, and yeah, enjoy Cake Week, everyone. Talk soon.